Hello, Texans. I'm Susanna, and this is The Susanna Gibbs Show. On the podcast today, we have Brian High of North Star Carriage. I first read about Brian in the paper. It was a little bit sensationalistic. Maybe Dallas should ban horse-drawn carriages. And I was like, what? Why would you do such things? I don't know why the council person didn't maybe talk to some carriage people before they just decided to bring it up in the council meeting. But you know, that's how the Dallas City Council runs sometimes. It's a little bit sensationalistic. Nobody's gotten in fist fight late, fist fights lately. So I guess there's that. On this show, we feature Texas people. We're an insurance agency and we support our community. We're really glad to be here and we love being in Texas. And so it's nice to talk to Texas people about what they're up to. You can connect with us at GiveAgencyDallas.com. We'd love to hear from you. We're going to end this podcast with an insurance tip, but not before we do our new thing, which is our Rando Texas Trivia. So stick around for that. And now, on with the show. On the podcast with me today, we have Brian High at North Star Carriage, and I'm super excited to dig into, you guys made, um, it was some pretty sensational news recently. I don't know if it's, you seem super chill about it, but when I read about you in the newspaper, it felt like it was a big to-do. It is. Um, it was shocking. I guess initially it was pretty shocking what uh, was being said, but uh, yeah, it was it was definitely big news. We've, we've been pretty quiet in the community for a lot of years, and uh, to get the ire of someone from uh, from out of state for our little business, we were, we were flattered and scared at the beginning, but uh, now we kind of know what's going on. And so uh, we're a little bit more up to speed now for, for sure. So for anybody who isn't up to, up to speed on what is going on, what's the, what's, what's the, the short. So the summary of, yeah, the summary of what's kind of going on right now is um, this past summer, there is an outside special interest group from Chicago that has come down. They are, um, you know, their their claim is that they are wanting to ban horse carriages worldwide. Uh, we have since learned that they have a little bit bigger goal than just horse carriages. Um, I'm sure we'll get to that in a bit. They've taken video of us for five, six months. Um, we've had to call the cops a couple times for stalking. That was a little uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, of course, they've gone to city council meetings and they've spoke at the end of city council meetings. So much so, so much so that they have bent the ear of one of the committees that uh, that is over um, commerce, some commerce in the city of Dallas to the point where on December 5th, uh, there was a news reporter present and they, it came out in a news story that uh, there was uh, the hint that they may consider banning horse carriages in in Dallas. Um, we have since learned that that playbook is pretty common. They they tend to start these campaigns when they know we're all busy with Christmas. Uh, Christmas is a very busy time of year for all of us. Um, yes, I am currently the only permitted carriage service in Dallas, but I'm not the only one operating. Um, there's a whole list of precedent that leads to that. They made it sound like we had all this wrongdoing going on, and that's just not, in fact, true. There's a lot of misinformation that they had they had said at that time. Anyway, uh, we didn't really have a time to, to mess with that in December. We uh, were able to gather our thoughts after January 1. That's when the first uh, Channel 8 news uh, article came out. They actually just showed up to my house. And uh, I, I'm, I'm assuming that they called, but we were busy putting stuff up. And 
you know, we have nothing to hide. We're not doing anything wrong. And so I, um, <clears throat> welcomed him in. We did a, excuse me, we did an interview very impromptu. Um, I had no preparation. Obviously I didn't even know they were coming. They literally drove down my driveway. My driveway's pretty long. I thought it was pretty risky on their part, but, uh, they just drove right down here and plopped down and said, Hey, can we do an interview? And I quit what I was doing. I gave him an interview. And what is it? Sorry, what's their main what's their main beef with the horse carriages i i don't i i'm sure that they operate excuse me under the uh, under the idea of horse welfare we've we've actually done, had a chance to do some research and they they don't they don't necessarily do anything for horse welfare um i i, I feel bad in a lot of sense that they're just not they're not very educated in the world that we live in and and i don't think that's a I don't think that's a terrible thing. I mean, it's okay to not know something about somebody's way of life, but before you go to protest, you might need to do a little bit of research on on what we do. Uh, initially, it was what they would consider violations. Is it w- was their initial problem with what we did? Um, little bitty things that were precedents that were set up years ago, and when I say years ago, maybe two decades ago, that when the horse carriage industry in Dallas was. Um, super concentrated and also concentrated in a very small area. Uh, there was a period of time where we had inspectors on the street every weekend and the laws and the rules that were come up at this time or that were wrote at this time, I was part of that process, um, at getting all that done. And then they were down there to enforce them, but there were, there were unwritten rules that we did that maybe were like where we would turn around. Technically speaking, we were facing the wrong way on a one way street, but this is what the city this is where they said we should park. And so this is how these things came up. And there's been no need to rein, reinvestigate these these policies and this ordinance because our safety record is, it's literally, it, it's unprecedented. I mean, by PETA's own website, there's been four accidents in Dallas in 39 years and, and none of them are with me. And so I, I don't really understand their, their safety concerns. I mean, if you really want to look at safety concerns, and and by no means am I am I knocking the lime scooter, but if you want to look at safety concerns, and this is a human welfare issue, you might want to look at the lime scooter and the safety record. Just over the last summer, when they let them reinduce into Dallas, I mean, we see accidents and ambulances present for those all the time. And yeah, I the lime the scooters. Scooter. I ride. Them. I, I I'm a huge fan. I think they're so fun, and I have eaten it on a lime scooter like super hard. So you know, and I was like, that's it. I'm going home. That hurts, but. Yeah. They had some horse welfare um, concerns, I guess, but our ordinance, and it's a very comprehensive ordinance that we have, that when it was written, when there were so many of us down there in the West End back in the in the early 90s, they didn't have such a good ordinance. And I do think people were able to, uh, there, was no, there was no regulations. So since there were no regulations, when they came up with the regulations, the regulations are so stringent that somebody that really doesn't have a background or a good concept of what is good horse welfare could do this business because the ordinance outlines how that needs to work. Now, I will say that when that was written pre-2000, um, is there some updates that we can do? Sure. Yeah, there's probably some updates that we could do, but there's never been a need to because we're, we're not a rogue industry that's just out there operating willy-nilly with no with no guidance. Now, if there were if there were wrecks and if there were, you know, violations and people doing all kinds of nefarious stuff, sure, 
maybe you need to reinvestigate that. But it's just not been necessary. And the only reason that it caught the attention of city council is because this outside special interest group, they are a for-profit organization out of Chicago. They're loosely, they're, they're loosely connected to PETA. They distance themselves from PETA because I think they have, it gives them a bad connotation, but that's who funds them. And they, they went to city council consistently to the point where city council, and it was obvious from the December 5th meeting, and I have a lot of notes on that, that city council did not have a real clear understanding of what we do within our own ordinance. So that was kind of shocking to me in the beginning. And we've, we've since been able to address some of that. So we were, you know, just, we needed a little bit of time and that wasn't able to happen during the Christmas rides in December. So I have a couple questions. Um, one, how are they for profit? Like, so uh, we, we are putting all that together right now as far as the paper trail, but initially we thought that this was a charitable organization. They're in the middle of a half a million dollar fundraiser right now. Um, the Chicago Alliance folks are, I don't know if it's under that heading or one of their subsidiaries, but they're in the middle of a half a million dollar fundraiser right now. And the leader of that organization, the one that is kind of, I guess, uh, directing the folks here in Dallas, I mean, by her own admission, she wants to be a full-time animal advocate and not work. I mean, we, that, that she said that publicly and so she can get everybody upset and they'll donate and then she gets a salary for it. Interesting. Initially speaking, I was flattered that some special interest group in Chicago, uh, w w was mad at me, little old small business in Dallas, been doing this for 30 years and, and it was flattering in the beginning, but like yesterday or maybe the day before we, we were able to speak at, at council at the end, like they had been doing. And I mean, they immediately labeled us with big agriculture, which is just, that's so unhinged. I can't even, I can't even understand. I mean, people that work in any type of agriculture, um, I think that people don't understand folks in that world at all because we move so far away from it especially in the big cities that you don't have you're several degrees removed from folks that have a farm if you will right. and some of the things that we did post-covid to to bond the community after they'd been shut inside their apartments for so long was i i mean i didn't need any justification for what we did as far as the well-being of people but that was one of the greatest displays of uh, in my opinion civic duty that you could ever do being able to bond people after COVID and Dallas has a real strong presence of downtown living. And so when we were able to bring people out, bring people together with the horse, because that's really what the attraction is, is the horse. I mean, make no mistake. The carriages are cute. Our information that we give and the historical is fantastic. It's all great, but the attraction is the horse. I mean, that is the star of the show. Make no mistake how that works. So I have, I want to let's talk about your horse, your horses, since we're kind of here. And then I want to move and then, and then I want to talk about Dallas culture versus Fort Worth culture as relates to, uh, you know, towards horsing horse culture as well. So what kind of horses? Yeah. What kind of horses do you have? We have we have everything. OK, so I our, our operation is we've been around for a long time. So we most of our horses are drafts. I'll just say that. Most of our horses are draft horses or draft crosses. As I develop in this industry from the early 90s to now, I realized that in the summertime, 
I needed to have horses that were crossbred that were maybe more suited for the heat because mm-hmm. some of the real big draft horses don't do great in the heat. Um, that's, that's not a working statement. Like they can just be in the barn and it's just hot, right? Cause they're big. The mass is, is, is a lot for the heat in Texas. And so, so when you say draft horses, is that like the Budweiser horses, I think, which is what a lot of people picture or are they not quite so big? Some of them are bigger. Um, oh, so no. we have some that are even bigger than that. Now Clydesdales is what everybody says. I think we probably get asked that question a million times. Is that a Clydesdale? And outside of one horse that we have, the answer is always no. Um, so we have predominantly our Percherons or Percheron crosses. Percherons are in the working world, one of the more popular breeds because of their hardiness, um, their mm-hmm. feet, um, their feet are very hard. Um, and, and they typically have a very good bone structure and lung capacity to do what we do. A lot of, a lot of people that farm with horses like the Amish or whatever, they typically will use Belgians or Percherons as their, as their workhorses because they are so hardy and they're, this is what they do. This is what they're bred for. And most of our horses are either purebred Percherons or some cross that I have developed or bred and, and bought just for that four months of the year the rest of the year we use everything all of our all of our full drafts we use for the rest of the year what are some of the rules on how long like horses can work like a work day for a horse city of dallas has a a very long list of of uh regulations for us um in the city of dallas you can't work a horse more than eight hours um that is that is a rule um you can't work under or you cannot work over certain temperatures there's no, there's no cold regulations, but I mean, these draft horses, they feel great. I mean, this is the cold weather, like from Europe, that's where they're from. Like they thrive in the cold. i even me, I get to be a little bit of a bleeding heart in the winter. You give them all this shelter and then in the 33 degree freezing rain, they're standing out there just running around like it's nothing. And so it's, it's really, it's kind of fun to see, but we have, we have regulations uh, that we can't work above a certain temperature. Um, eight hours is the limit. They have to have a break every 10 minutes or 10 minutes every hour. Um, they have regulations on how many days they can work before they can, uh, work again, or how many hours they can work before they can work again, how many days a week that they can work and and so on and so forth. So when you pass a horse that's tied up to a carriage, I don't know how many times I passed, like maybe they're waiting for their next rider or something. And the horse is just kind of cold chilling with its head, not up, but in kind of a, a downward look. What are they doing right then? Resting. Um, I've since this has all happened, I've had to read a lot of uh, vet reports and what have you about um, people want to know facts. Okay, a lot of the a lot of this PETA influence that they have made has been based on emotion. We've tried to run all of our response based on facts. Okay. So one of the studies that I read was, is that a horse standing in that state that you just described is at rest or asleep, much like a human would be if they were leaning against a wall or, um, you know, just resting. You wouldn't stand on both feet firm unless you're about to do something. You shift one way or the other. The head being down is a relaxed posture. So when you hear reports that the horse is scared or they're, they're, they're spooked or they're always stressed being in that environment, some of the vet studies that I've read, and they've done it even with cortisol levels and, and glucose, glucose reserves, when, when those horses are in that state, they're at complete rest, like completely calm, complete rest. And, and physiologically, that's been proven. 
Now, when you when you touch the bit, those horses will perk up and they're ready to go to work. They're just waiting for a command. It's uh, it's quite astonishing. And I've also read reports and I've had to do since then. And, and we've always known that they're fine, but I just wanted to get some facts to where when people ask these questions, I can answer them factually that horses that don't that don't um horses that are in in the in like the city work life that don't go there like they feel like there's something missing all the time so they're always expecting go because their creatures are habit right so if a horse works three or four days a week if you let him off for three or four weeks he's missing something in his routine and they say that that even upsets him more than than going to work it's pretty incredible the, the, the vet studies that have been done I would. I was wondering that actually, because there you, you think about dogs and like there's working dogs, there's hunting dogs, and I was like, man, there's got to be the same for horses that just are like, no, this is hey, I I want to I want to work with cattle, and they're good at it, and some that are yes. great to pull carriages. You should see some so, of these guys. They're jump such in the trailer amazing when it's time creatures. To go to work. When when it's time to go to work, really? you open the trailer and they jump in. You're like, okay, well, it's it's definitely time to go to work now. It's so. It's, it's pretty cool to see. It is. When I realize this is somewhat of a stretch, but I read elephants, for example, don't actually like people. They don't like people at all, even though they've been trained to work with people. And horses, horses really like people, I think. At least the horses a, I've known. If, if, you go, if you go stand next to a fence that there's horses in any pasture and you sit there, that horse is going to come up to see you. Because they just genetically, they have a connection to humans and you can argue the fact all you want. It's just a fact. If you go stand next to any fence where there's horses, they will come and talk to you. Mm, That's so fun. So the other question was, I think about, I went to Fort Worth downtown recently. Um, I can't remember the name of the hotel, but it was a gorgeous hotel and there ceiling chandelier i'm not sure that it was a chandelier maybe it was just like an installation but it was all like um steer heads you know you go to you go to fort worth and they have Cowtown and the stockyards and they they run the the longhorns through and like they have fully embraced cowboy culture and dallas is like mm, we don't maybe don't want to talk about our cowboy culture <laughs> well you're Do in you texas feel like there's so a big difference away from it there is a difference in mentality between Dallas and Fort Worth. I worked in Fort Worth for years. Um, post COVID, I quit working over there. I I know the folks that still work over there. Um, this is probably not the smartest business decision, but it was definitely the right human decision. As there were so many businesses that were lost during COVID, I quit working over there because I was working in both cities, so that there was room for everybody to keep their businesses. And so I'm I still talk to I talked to those people this past week actually, all of them actually. Um, Fort Worth is a different culture. I love Fort Worth. Fort Worth is uh, is definitely uh, one of the best kept secrets in the Southwest, I believe. Um, and they do embrace their culture. That's just who they are. The the PETA folks that are here from Chicago, they just launched their attack on on Fort Worth here what yesterday, the Star Telegram, which I thought was a little shocking. They also announced the stock show that they're going to take on them, which it goes along with their their attack not just on horse carriages but agriculture in general which you're not gonna you're not gonna win that fight in fort worth and so uh we're a big part of the the uh fort worth stock show and rodeo parade uh we had a very large presence in that parade with the the director this past year um and and fort worth is who's they who they are they're unapologetic about it and i think that's great 
So what are some of the next steps for for you and your um, and your work sure. to to keep operating? So we are we are going to council meetings. We're we're kind of doing a little bit of the playbook that they have done. We've reached out some, to some outside groups that have combated these PETA folks across the country. This is not a unique campaign to Dallas. Okay, if you look at the uh, if you look at their Facebook page, it's just a carbon copy in Dallas, in Biloxi, in Indianapolis, in Minneapolis, in Charlotte, in Savannah. It's the exact same thing. It's just changed the name at the end. And we have started our own page that is Save, uh, Save Dallas Horse Carriages. We're putting up a ton of information on that page um, every day, uh, multiple times a day. A lot of it is just fact-finding. So from the December 5 council meeting where they said so many things that were just, they, they just didn't know a lot about our, in, our industry, we've started addressing those on, on, this, uh, on this Facebook page. And so... That's our first start. Um, we are reaching out, obviously, to city council members to give them a free q and I've been contacted by several city council members that want to maybe even tour a facility or ask some questions. Um, and we're an open book. I mean, obviously, Channel 8 showed up here, and, and I said, okay, yeah, let's do an interview. Uh, we are also um, reaching out to our local congressmen. They're... Uh, they seem to be pretty, pretty helpful. I know that my state representative where I live here in Crum is Dr. Lynn Stuckey and he is a veterinarian. Um, and so I actually live next door to the guy that hired them back in the sixties when he got out of school. So, uh, it's kind of funny, but, uh, yeah, so we've reached out to those folks. We're in the very, uh, preliminary stages of reaching out to the state representative, see if there's anything that, uh, that they can help us with, but it is kind of cool that our state representative is in my district is a, is a veterinarian. So, um, that, that seems to be pretty good, but that's our step right now. Um, as we are able to educate, uh, council, um, on stuff, I hope that they'll be able to make a, a pretty informed decision that they were initially felt like that there was a problem. And just so they know that there's not a problem. We've also met with transportation regulation and they are going to go back to council and present. They've been asked by council to present, uh, some information concerning our industry in later on in the spring, maybe April, May ish. And we are compiling a ton of information for transportation regulation that really has more to do with updates in the last 20 years where there's been no updates, which there hasn't needed to be any updates, but because of the PETA folks, we're going to update. That's fine. And it's probably needs to be done anyway. So, um, but that's what's currently going on right now. Got it. Okay. All right. Well, if people want to find you, um, what's the name of your Facebook page? Well, you can, you can find information on our Facebook page, which is North Star Carriage. Um, you just go on to Facebook, North Star Carriage is, is on there, especially with all the buzz that we've had. And then the Save Dallas Horse Carriage um, is another Facebook page that we have that we're putting information out that specifically relates to this situation. I mean, it's just basically information all the time. All the time there's information. And all, a lot of us are involved. I know that the initial thought was I'm the only one in this fight. And that's that's so not true. There's upwards of 20 of us around. And we have been able to put Christmas to bed and assemble. And so now we are obviously going to defend ourselves right now. The target was on my back because I was the only one permitted in Dallas, but, uh, there's a lot of us that are, that are rallying together to, to make sure that we make this go away. Good for you. Good for you. All right. So we started a new thing where we okay. are going to do uh, a little bit of Texas trivia. 
Oh Are you boy. ready to play some, some rando Texas trivia? I think so. I hope so. All right. Yes, I have. Here we I'm go. Ready. I designed this one for you. These Uh-oh. five questions. We'll go through the questions first, and then we'll talk about the answers. So okay. um, the first Spanish horses on record were brought to Texas in what year by the Moscoso Expedition? To Texas? To or Texas. North America? To Texas. Texas. Yeah. 1700. Fewer than how many purebred Spanish Mustangs are left today? Fewer than how many Spanish Mustangs mm-hmm. are left today? Mm-hmm. Fewer than five Spanish Mustangs what, are left today. What is the state horse of Texas? Uh, it's got to be the quarter horse. The state had the greatest number of these in 1926 with 1.24 million of these were exported. They were in high demand in oil fields with lack of paving made trucks. Lack of paving made trucks impractical. Mechanization on Texas farm brought a decline in the number of these to 400,000 in 1944. What is it? The workhorse. Last question. This is the trick one. My mom had nine horses. They were mostly what variety? Ah, I'll give you a hint. They are known for their comfortable gates and are often preferred by doctors who would ride them That's to easy. visit patients. Tennessee walkers. Bing, 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 bing. <laughs> Very good. So the first Spanish horses on record were brought to Texas in 1542 by the most. I was going to say the 1500s. I was going to say the 1500s. Yeah, I know. There are actually more Mustangs left than you said. Thank goodness. There are uh, 3,000, just fewer than 3,000 purebred Spanish Mustangs. In Texas? Mm, no. I, I don't know. Okay. The internet. Cool. Maybe there's three in Texas. We'll give you that one. <laughs> um, That's funny. The American Quarter Horse was correct. It was. Uh, it, it is tagged as strong, smart, fast, and tough, perfectly suited mm-hmm. to the task of carrying cowboys on the long journey from Texas to the railheads of Missouri and Kansas. The next one was a mule. I the forgot state about mules. Yeah, one point right. two four million mules. Although I, I gotta that. say, I believe that mules, donkeys, jackasses. I cannot keep them straight in my head. Which one is which? Who's the mom? Who's guy. the dad? Oh yeah, yeah, so. yeah. And then you were totally right. My mom had Tennessee Walkers. I had I, Tennessee Walkers are great. They're fantastic. They're fantastic riding horses. The history of the Tennessee Walker is fascinating as well. Definitely fascinating. So they were. Um, this was something that uh, I think we she had them till I was about 12, but I was little and I mostly remember like walking underneath them and they would like kind of nibble at my hair because it was like straw. You know, they just yeah. kind of lean over. And, yes. Um, yes. They're inquisitive but, animals for sure. Yes. Horses are so amazing. So when I saw this whole article, I oh. thought, man, I've got to get him on. I know people who do the Christmas carriage ride every year. It's been their family tradition for years and years and years. And. While you want to make sure that horses are safe, it's also nice to see mm-hmm. see horses in the city, right? Like, it's such a cool thing. I would hate that, to see it go away. That connection, we, we see it every year with Christmas, and I have for 30 years, but that connection post-COVID was, that was incredible. I mean, people were bringing their dogs down to, and dogs and horses don't get along, by the way. It's not a, it's not a thing. And so dogs would be just like, oh my gosh, there's another animal, you know, they so had not seen exactly forever. Did, what did you do during COVID? So during COVID, 
you know, we were we were shut down for what three months while we kind of well, the state kind of figured out what what was what needed to be done, and then when they opened things back up for we could go back to work. I would just go. I'd take a horse down there and plop down around Clyde Warren Park and just let people come out and pet and Aww. talk. And we had we had probably had four or five people that were coming out during that time. And and I'll be honest with you, I just sat there sometimes and let people pet horses while my drivers did did rides. And we had we had a great you know a great time being able to see people come out and they just to hear the stories of you know being stuck inside and you know the downtown living is a different environment than, than maybe where we live, of course. And so it was great to people to give, to give people some connection to normalcy after what was so weird. And you mentioned Christmas. I mean, that's a tradition that families, they, they look forward to that all year. I mean, you think of how fast our life is just in general to know that you're going to sit with your family for an hour and do something that you do every year, it's kind of like opening presents, right? Like everyone looks forward to that moment and everyone looks forward to that moment together to be riding around, looking at Christmas lights. And, and I mean, we make, uh, <clears throat> we make a big deal about the horses because a lot of our horses compete, um, across the country in farm team competitions and what have you. And, uh, if you look on our Facebook page, we're starting to release some stuff from Denver where we were last week. It's why I couldn't, been talked last week and and people just love to have that connection they the horses that they rode with at christmas are now going to denver to compete and they pet those horses in in december and now they see them working you know really at their potential if you want to if you don't know the truth about her. and so it's just a connection that people and horses have you can't you can't you can't trivialize it but with some PETA organization saying that we're mean that's just not true yeah it's just false yeah just false well, thank you, Brian. Thank you for taking time to talk to me today. Thank you for having me I appreciate sure. it. All right. Truly, I'm going to have to get my hands on some horses now. I really just want to pet that little bitty soft spot on the top of their nose right before their nostrils. I want to feed them some carrots and feel their little lips on my hands. Horses are so cool. And they do need to be protected. And if there are rules in place to keep them protected, then that's great. And now... Our insurance tip of the week. A lot of people don't know this, but how often you drive can affect your auto insurance rates. Most people, the default is about 8,000 to 12,000 miles. And now they can tell exactly how far you drive. So you can't really cheat on it. They look at oil changes. They look at your tire changes, etc. Because think about it. They always record your miles when you're there. But if you don't drive a ton, then you can often get discounts on your auto rates. So if you're one of those drivers, get with your insurance agent and make sure that you are getting all the discounts that you are available for. Thank you so much for being here. We appreciate that you spent some time with us. Please reach out to us at GibAgencyDallas.com. We love to hear from you and we'll see you again in two weeks. Have a good night.